0: Hello and welcome back to Filmonomics as Slated. This is the podcast series that examines the film business from a multitude of different angles so that we can all have a better handle on the industry's inner workings. I'm Colin Brown, your regular podcast host, and my interview guest this week could not be a better choice for the week that Americans celebrated the Declaration of Independence on the 4th of July. As the Executive Director of the Sundance Institute, Kerry Putnam is at the very epicenter of independent filmmaking. Since her appointment in February 2010, Kerry has overseen all aspects of Robert Redford's storytelling engine house, including the emblematic Sundance Film Festival, and the year-round array of highly prized labs, grants, workshops and ongoing resources that have supported more than 5,000 artists along every step of their creative journeys from across all corners of the globe. Last year, more than 13,000 features and shorts were submitted to the Sundance Film Festival in the hope that they would end up among the 180 selected for this annual Park City showcase. It's not too hard to explain this deluge of submissions. Since 1985, by which time the Institute had taken over management of the festival, this 10-day showcase has launched countless filmmaking careers while at the same time broadening the industry's talent base and acceptance of new ideas, including the notion that documentaries are viable cinematic stories deserving of equal status alongside their narrative brethren. So embedded has Sundarts become in the business fabric of independent filmmaking, that it is easy to forget that the core mission of this non-profit apparatus is not driven by economic considerations. Those splashy big-money distribution deals and box office breakouts are not the end goal, but a happy byproduct of what has been an unwavering commitment to discovery and development. As Kerry observes in our interview, this remains their guiding star, even as they keep pushing into new frontiers.
1: People might look at Sundance and say, oh, what a great festival marketplace, or what a great live event, or what a great giant community dedicated to independence. But really it starts with that founding vision that that Bob had, which is, Let's create a a protected space away from the marketplace for creators to raise their authentic voices. It's so simple, but it started so small.
0: This is not to say that Sundance is completely independent from the commercial realities that surround its work. As much as Sundance tries to insulate budding storytellers from the marketplace so that they can concentrate on their craft, those voices need to be heard eventually. Kerry's appointment recognizes the reality, She was a long time production executive at HBO and then president of production at Miramax Films, before becoming the first person to run the Sundance organization that actually hailed from outside the nonprofit world. Her industry knowledge and connections were seen as important assets in Sundance's bid to expand its international presence, connect to new audiences, and experiment with emerging areas of artist support. And under aegis, Sundance has used its own name recognition to help unknown filmmakers in the entrepreneurial funding, marketing and distribution of their work through a network of industry alliances. Sundance's importance as a creative greenhouse was underlined at last month's Cannes Film Festival. The general consensus was that this year's event fell short in both the films that were paraded on the red carpet and the projects that were being pitched to potential financiers. Screen International, the business paper where I worked for so many years, summed it up nicely when it said, Much like the festival's competition, there was seemingly a lack of sass and scope among the new scripts. Among the exceptions to that was a Sundance-launched film that got a standing ovation in the director's fortnight sidebar. Produced by several slated members, including Michael Gutwold and Dan Jamby, Patty Cakes has sass to burn, the self-assured debut feature for music video director Jeremy Jasper. It tells the story of Patricia Dombrowski, who dreams of escaping her hard-knock suburban life in Jersey by spitting out lyrics to a boom-back beat under her rap name of Killer P, aka Pattycakes. Cakes. The energetic crowd-pleaser was snapped up by Fox Searchlight at this year's Sundance Festival for around $9.5 million. That's nearly ten times the film's budget. It's a success story that can trace its roots to the Sundance Writing Lab where Jasper and his first ever stab at a screenplay came under the tutelage of Quentin Tarantino, himself, of course, a Sundance breakout with Reservoir Dogs. Just like its hero, Patty Cakes is the classic indie underdog story that shows how marginalized talents can overcome the odds through fierce and joyous commitment to talent.
1: Yeah, I, I I would love to speak about Patty Cakes. I love the film and it is a great example of the different ways that Sundance Institute touches a project and, a, and an artist over the course of their process. So, um, Jeremy Jasper came to our Screenwriter and Directors Lab with Patty Cakes, and just being at the Directors Lab—you uh, know, that's that's a lab. I'm sure you know. I don't know if you've been to it, but it's a, it's a lab that takes it's a four weeks uh, of residency, and they. The directors, there's only eight of them, the directors shoot scenes from their films and receive really robust feedback from a variety of mentors. Unlike a traditional development process, the Sundance um, creative process in our labs is about helping artists refine their own vision, not imposing any any external vision on them, so it's really about identifying a unique voice and and then helping it to develop, um, you know, on, feet, on its feet. In the case of the directors' lab, with actors and you know and productions. So, Jeremy went through that lab, and I believe attended some of the other. In addition to the screenwriters and directors' lab, I believe he may have attended our uh, film music lab or other labs along the way, um, as as artists often do. And then as an alumni project of Sundance, um, it was eligible for the program called Catalyst that you mentioned, which is a newer program that we, we recognized in recent years that there really is a greater need to support independent artists in securing financing for their work, especially for work that's a bit outside what's traditionally pre-sellable and um, maybe with newer talent. And we invite several projects to come to a lab that we've set up now for creative investors interested in investing in Independent film interested in investing in new kinds of bold stories, uh, including documentaries and features. And Patty cakes was one of the projects at Catalyst and was a big success there. It also, I think, was lifted by the momentum of that process um, to kind of to be able to to move forward. And then um, you know the next year we. We're happy to have it submitted and and successfully uh, accepted into Sundance, where it was a breakout hit for us at the festival and the deal that they made. That was an instance where they had, I believe, a ton of Offers and opted to go uh, with Fox Searchlight. So that sort of decision making of, of choosing you know, that theatrical path and that company felt right for that film. And I, I think the success that they've had in Cannes. I'm looking forward to seeing their rollout. I think it bears out that this is a movie that that found its place and found its pipeline um, through a lot of support along the way in a in a in an environment where typically a first time director film without a big star at the centre might have had trouble finding that.
0: As with so many films and filmmakers that have been nurtured and platformed through Sundance over the past four decades, Patty Cakes would probably not have survived without that active intervention. As much as the marketplace clamours for distinctive works of originality, it's also hostile to unproven talents on both sides of the camera. In order to break through, you need to be able to somehow arrive on the scene both fully formed and validated. Given the stakes, there is simply no room for failure when starting out in the commercial world, which is why Sundance plays such a crucial role in both developing and endorsing fresh voices.
1: We think all of our projects that we support are you know, incredibly worthy of the marketplace recognizing them, but we also acknowledge that often, Creative people need time to coalesce their vision and be able to get on the page what they have in their head and uh, being able to sort of have some proof of concept for themselves and some feedback along the way. And so we try to create very protected spaces for artists to develop their the creative sides of their projects. And in this marketplace where... Um, you know, we've seen a real erosion in that happening on the, on the sort of studio and distributor side where a lot of the business now is around acquisitions or, or sort of pre-buys with equity financiers. That, that space to create is, um, is so critical, and we think that it's a great complement to what the market's doing. The freedom to fail is one of the core yeah, pillars of the Sundance ethos. Michelle Satter, who runs our feature film labs, uh, always introduces um, the lab to the artists that are participating as as uh, not just a freedom to fail but but actually an active encouragement to fail because if they're not pushing themselves a little bit beyond their comfort zone, and, which, which sometimes results in a failure, um, they may not be pushing their, their, you know, creative vision to its edges. And so I think that freedom and that, as I said earlier, that sort of protected space where failure is recognized as an integral part of a successful creative process is unique and I think incredibly valuable.
0: Without the seal of approval that Sundance bestows on unheralded artists, the entertainment industry's ability to rejuvenate itself creatively would be severely diminished. Many of the most sought-after directors working in Hollywood today have intersected with Sundance during pivotal moments in their career development. For a recent example, you only need to look to Damien Chazelle, the youngest ever winner of the Academy Award for Best Director. The film that launched his career, Whiplash, only came into being because a short film by the same name, made as a proof of concept, was accepted at the Sundance Film Festival in 2013. Both that short and the subsequent feature-length version that went on to win top prizes in Park City, paving the way for La La Land, and a renewed interest in musical cinema. Until recently, even a modest Sundance success like that was enough to land a theatrical distribution deal, and maybe foreign sales as well. But the changing economics of distribution worldwide has meant that Sundance is having to play a much more proactive role in helping filmmakers find that paying audience.
1: I actually think that Sundance's role in the current environment is affirming some of the things we've done for many years, which is around supporting the earliest stages and the, the greatest flexibility in that creative process that we've just been discussing. But I think what we've found over the last five or six years is that that creative support that we provide, which is so critical and, and the core of our work really needs to be complemented by um, a more holistic look at what artists need um, to support their sustainability for their practices in general beyond an individual project, and also to think about how their projects meet the marketplace. So that's where thinking about supporting producers a bit more to to understand how and when to push their projects out into the market, and also thinking about, as I said earlier, supporting um, getting financing for projects from Um, people who really care about independent work who may um, in some cases, be in it because they love the arts as much as because they love the potential business of it. These are things that have been really valuable, I think, in just in just creating a bit of a more robust infrastructure for the artist to be creating at the earlier stages. Now, of course, we at Sundance will never be uh, a distributor or a producer of work. And I think there is a natural handoff time that we have to the industry and the platform that we provide by being uh, an engine that digests so many incoming submissions for our labs, for our granting funds, for our festival, um, and tries to select the most unique voices and the most diverse voices we can. I think what we found is the value of being able to curate a group of projects and then support them in all of the ways I've just described, creative, strategic, tactical, um, support them to the point where they're market ready, is a very unique role that organizations like Sundance play. We're not the only organization that does this. There's wonderful other nonprofits in feature film and documentary and other forms that do this work. And I think it's especially important for discovering new talent and for supporting it to the place where it's clear to the market to recognize its value.
0: Sundance's curatorial power as a tastemaker means that it has always played an important role in deciding whom and what gets included. Diversity is one of the core values driving the Institute's work. But the commitment is pursued not as a forced agenda, so much as an organic outgrowth of trying to find the widest, most interesting range of truthful stories to tell. Inclusion is an issue that involves many more dimensions than the ones most commonly discussed.
1: Sundance has a long history of supporting A wide range of creative voices and when I think back to the history of our work with LGBT stories or um, with native and indigenous artists we have a long history of supporting a lot of different voices but I think what we've recognized and responding a bit to the the world we live in is that diversity of course it involves gender and ethnicity and and, um, ability and, and orientation but it also involves genre, region, economic, ideology. I think our our interest is in in finding the most uh, distinctive, authentic voices from as many different perspectives and places as we can, and increasingly that includes uh, global voices. We're working right now with um, artists from the Middle East and North Africa through our theater program, for example, and we do documentary program in China. So we're looking to surface independent perspectives and you know authentic human stories from as many perspectives and places as we can. You know, you mentioned genre. I, I'm proud that we have a lot of comedy at Sundance. We have a great midnight section with genre work. We have you know we have drama. We have documentary. Um, Sometimes people think, oh, independent film, it's a particular kind of story. And I don't think that's true at all. I think these visions can represent all sorts of genres and approaches. Another interesting program we have in that is is something that Tabitha Jackson, who runs our documentary program, started with CineReach a couple years ago called The Art of Nonfiction, which is a wonderful exploration of how to push the cinematic language of nonfiction. And I think you see so much interesting work happening in documentary now that isn't exclusively around the topics that are being covered, but actually really is around the language of what is a cinematic nonfiction story. And I think that creative exploration is inherent to to what we mean when we talk about diversity.
0: Listening to Kerry talk about creative exploration, I wondered to what extent that involved technological exploration. Does independent cinema also mean liberating filmmaking from what we think of as cinema? And are there technological innovations that are changing how Sundance is approaching its work?
1: It is a difficult one, and I think while, well, you talk about technology, I think there's several aspects of technology we could talk about. i would love to come back, just mark mark our conversation to come back around you know the technology of empowering creative people to reach their audience. Um, there's some I think systemic problems for independence in that area that I'd love to come back to, but you're you're talking now about form, and I think what I recognize is that Storytelling and independent voices, as we've just been talking about that are kind of freed from any influence of you know the marketplace or you know hopefully any fixed ideology in the way they're approaching their work those those know no bounds in terms of form, so we've really embraced um launching episodic work, both at our festival and in a couple of labs that we now have dedicated to short and longer form episodic work. As you know, we've had the New Frontier program at the festival for uh, like 11 years now, and our New Frontier lab, I think, is five or six years old. And what the New Frontier allows us to do in particular, a lot of people think when they think about the New Frontier, they think VR. But that really isn't the purpose of new frontier new frontier is meant to address the very thing you said, which is how do you how do you explore the boundaries of where technology and storytelling are coming together in a way um, that allows you to constantly be curious and, and and present you know what's on the sort of cutting edge without necessarily a field being mature enough to develop or to have identified the kind of you know key creative influences The idea of the new frontier is to to precisely be a showcase for work that hasn't entirely taken shape as a form yet. So by definition it doesn't validate any particular content type or or voice what it what it says is here are some people working on the edge, here are some trends we think are coming, here are some exciting voices experimenting and it's sort of relieved of the pressure that of a of an official competition in some way because it's it's adventurous by definition. Now when within that we see something like VR come up, and suddenly, VR, which began as you know, with the prototype of the Oculus with Nani de la Pena several years ago at Sundance, now it's become so mature in a way that, that I think it almost feels like it pulls out of New Frontier. It's its own thing, and New Frontier needs to continue looking at what's on the edge. But, but VR has become. A, a new form that exists separately from New Frontier in a certain way, although, of course, it's still part of that program. So those are the sorts of questions Shari Freelo and, and you know, the festival team are asking ourselves, which is, at what point does a new form become stable enough that, that it actually deserves a, a kind of a, a more intentional section or curation? And that's got to be fluid. That's got to be fluid. You've just got to be listening for that.
0: So, returning to the issue that Carrie earmarked earlier, How can technology be harnessed to empower creative people looking to find and connect with their audiences? And what are the systemic problems for independence that she and her Sundance colleagues have identified?
1: I think we stand behind independence and I feel that there is power aggregating, as, as it always has, in the hands of, you know, big companies and, and the sort of hegemony of these big companies in the digital space globally is very real. And they're doing great work. They, they're supporting a lot of great projects, so, so, and we work closely with them. So this isn't, this isn't about criticizing what they're doing, but just recognizing that the power within those companies comes from the data and that data is not available to independents. So if you're not able to you know, be acquired or, or be part of the infrastructure of one of those big um, data-driven companies, and now that includes the studios as well as the platforms, um, and you are an independent trying to be dynamic with your own work, both in terms of getting financed and getting it connected to audiences, you're really at a disadvantage in, in today because if we can't advocate for more transparency, if we can't collectivize the independent sector to be able to uh, gain some access to the data that enables more targeted and efficient, cost-effective marketing, and you know more predictive um, uh, financial analysis of what kind of audiences can can be reached that, that then in turn can drive financing. I think the field will only be you know, more challenged in the future because data is becoming more important, not less. And I think we need to be very thoughtful as a field, um, and by this I mean all of the nonprofits that support independence, all of the independents themselves, all of the guilds. We need to think about how to get the power of data into the hands of the independent creator.
0: Data, as any producer trying to raise money for their projects knows only too well, can be a critical weapon. The economic rationale behind so many business proposals hinges on comps, the comparisons made with statistically relevant films that have already performed in the marketplace. In the days when those numbers were just box office and video cassette driven, getting such numbers was straightforward in most parts of the world. But the emergence of video on demand as the most likely avenue for watching independent films these days means that cinema tickets and DVD sales are no longer a reliable benchmark of success. But getting your hands on the new metrics can be frustratingly elusive. Forget trying to establish how many people watched a particular film on a subscription server such as Netflix or Amazon. Even getting hard numbers on download transactions and platform license fees can be an exercise in futility. Addressing this informational void, Sundance unveiled a partnership initiative to build a web-based tool to help indie filmmakers establish potential distribution avenues and financial outcomes. The idea was to extrapolate the hypothetical performance of independent films based on revenue stream figures mined from its own community of filmmakers. And so, between February and December 2014, the initiative reached out to as many as 300 filmmakers to get their numbers
1: we did and we still yeah we we did start collecting data we we recognized this challenge uh, you know several years ago and um along with many others recognized this challenge and we we together with CineReach and some other partners started um something that we call the transparency project and our idea our idea was very simple it was that you know individual independent creators have their own data um about their own projects in some cases uh because they get reports on it they may not have all of it but they have more you know they have more on their own than they do about the field generally and we wondered whether there would be a way of putting together a kind of a clearing house that would allow people to anonymize and share that data that could be then bucketed into genre or uh, budget size um, and used to to provide a a more comprehensive data set that could apply to the field. So that was the idea. We began collecting and we're still we're still working on that project. It just, it just it ended up being a lot more challenging than we expected. And the challenge is because every company reports differently. It was, it's very difficult from a technological standpoint to sort of digest a range of reports into a single tool. And, you know, it was a very ambitious idea. It remains an ambitious idea. And I don't think the need for it has lessened at all. I think the, you know, the tactics of how we get there, we're still evolving and we're definitely still working on it.
0: The collectivist approach here may well prove the key to transparency in an industry that has a history of jealously guarding its own data for competitive reasons, or perhaps out of fear that the actual financial picture may be worse than the one painted to investors. Slated, which is itself currently going through a substantial data upgrade designed to deepen the film and TV metrics and scores it provides, has long operated on the assumption that there is little to be gained from keeping such numbers in the dark. Extracting actionable insights from actual figures can only improve the health and sustainability of the independent film sector to everyone's mutual benefit. Achieving that across the industry as a whole will require the buy-in of a wide range of often-competing stakeholders across the filmmaking ecosystem, all of them hopefully motivated by a common interest in the long-term vitality of independently made cinema. They need to understand that if the overall industry wins, then its various constituent parts will ultimately win too, and for this very reason, Sundance has a potentially persuasive role to play as an uncompromised advocate.
1: That's exactly right, and that's what I think it's another you know you're talking about what are the values I want to emphasize again, not values of the nonprofit sector for independent media arts. I think, I think being an advocate for the empowerment of independence collectively is something that not only Sundance, but, but many organizations and individuals should be getting together to think about. This might include an effort, as you say, to sort of advocate for more transparency, but also might include self-directed collective efforts. For example, if there are data sets that individual films have about, you know, mailing lists or target audiences or people who consumed, you know, how could we, how could we find a way that adds value for a collective approach to sharing with one another that that doesn't, uh undermine anybody's individual business but 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 adds to the health of the field and i think you know we think about this a lot i think how to how to do that remains you know remains unclear but i don't as i said earlier i think i think if we're not grappling with that and trying some different things and then, then we're not doing everything we can so i feel like it's i feel like it's both exciting and important
0: given the extent to which sundance has advanced independent filmmaking since the institute was founded in 1981 It's not surprising that others have looked to replicate its success in other parts of the world. I've been asked about the secrets to Sundance on countless occasions on my own business travels. Just as everyone wants to create their local version of Silicon Valley, so everyone wants their own Sundance. So I asked Kerry what advice would she offer those looking to create their own filmmaking incubator?
1: (laughs) Well, I don't know what they mean. What, What do you think they mean when they say we want to do Sundance? When you hear that, what do you think they mean?
0: My answer is that so many looking to borrow from the Sundance playbook tend to focus only on its more obvious trappings. They want to hit the ground running with a high-profile festival of their own for nascent filmmakers in the hope that this might somehow galvanise local film sales or launch careers. Or else they look to their national governments to build a support system of film labs. And what I find myself reminding them is that they should instead look to Sundance's origins as an artist-grown sanctuary free from any outside interference. It has more to do with establishing independent values than with infrastructure.
1: Exactly right. Yeah, I think it's really important to to think about the founding vision from Bob Redford when you think about what Sundance is, because you're exactly right. People people might look at Sundance and say, oh, what a great festival marketplace, or what a great live event, or you know, all of those, um, what a great giant community dedicated to independence. But really, it starts with that founding vision that that Bob had, which is let's create a a protected space away from the marketplace for creators to raise their authentic voices. It's so simple, but it started so small. And for years, the integrity of that was the sole driver and remains the sole driver, really, of of what we do, even as we've gotten more complicated. But for years, it it was just that one lab you know and then it became a few more labs and then a few years later the idea of taking the work that was being generated and sharing it with audiences grew out of that but 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 really it's it it starts from the inside out and and from that from that sort of values-based center out and it's something when i came to work here i just i was so proud to be associated with and it becomes such a clear rudder and filter for everything we do. And I think people, both audiences and artists, recognize when your impulse is... As clear and as uh, value-centered as that, they recognize that it's a uh, it's both a safe place and uh, an exciting place to aggregate because their voices are going to be heard. So I, I think it's hard to you know it's hard to imagine how to replicate a Bob Redford in the world. But I think you know that art. What I think it's it is is finding somebody finding a way to let artists be at the center of it, and you know the network of artists that develops then begins to branch out. So. I think I, I'm actually seeing some of that in the world right now. I'm seeing collectives of artists. You know, think about Court 13, or think about, um, you know, the, the, there's some networks of artists in Detroit. There's networks of artists we found in the Middle East, and uh, there's CineX in China for documentary filmmakers. You see these sort of self-generated creative networks that are led by artists. Those are going to be the I think those are going to be the next um, movements that we see, and if we could, if we could somehow um, network all of them, it would be something very exciting.
0: You've been listening to Kerry Putnam elaborating on some of the thinking and value system that informs her work as executive director of the Sundance Institute. Clearly, the fact that so much of its work takes place in the seclusion of the Utah mountains is not just because of the surrounding beauty, although that certainly helps create an uplifting environment. It's about being removed from the mainstream currents of working life. For cinema to stay fresh and relevant, artists need to be able to find and hone their artistic voices without being drowned out by the confusing noise of the marketplace. The heart of Sundance is not to be found in the marketing circus surrounding the festival, but in the development work that precedes it. Now if independent filmmakers in other parts of the world want their own Sundance, they should do it for themselves by banding together around a common mission of self-empowerment. Transparency will be an increasing part of that mission, and for good reason. An illuminating article written last month by Liz Manischel, a filmmaker who also works for Sundance in its creative distribution initiative, spelled out the unintended consequences of opaqueness and obfuscation in the film world. As Manischel points out, unspoken paranoias about revealing personal information confidentiality clauses in distribution contracts, and the idea that unideal numbers will brand a film as small or unsuccessful, are all reasons why data does not get out into the public as often as it should. And yet this very lack of data makes it very hard to define what personal, genuine success can be. Without that transparency, the only comps we have are highly publicized deals, such as the ones scored by Paddy Cakes which is wonderful, but also leads to wholly unrealistic expectations for how most independent films should be measured. We need a new and impartial set of financial baselines, which is why the entertainment world is now getting so excited by blockchain, the technology or protocol behind the cryptocurrencies Bitcoin and Ethereum. Here at last might be a way to create an immutable chain of records that eliminates the need for an intermediary or third party to manage or control information. The greater the transparency, the faster the realisation of revenues, micro as those revenues might be, and the quicker the next film can get made. And on that future-facing note, I'll leave it there for this week. Tune in for another episode of Film Anomics at Slated coming very soon. And in the meantime, by all means, leave a review on our iTunes page. Transparently speaking, your feedback matters.